This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello, good evening, hey welcome up. to tonight's the No Near Never, Never podcast. podcast. With your host, Jamie Smith. Hello, Absolutely, I mean, ever so slightly farcical starts to the show, but hopefully host, we'll get better as the rest of the, Absolutely. <laughs> the podcast goes on. I'm Jamie Smith, my, Jamie Smith. my guests this evening are Adam Howarth, James Bird and Natalie Bromley. Of course, Burnley promoted to the Premier League yesterday after a 2-0 win at Turf Moor. Um, and, of course, that was set up by a 1-0 win at Blackpool on Friday night. So, two victories over the weekend, Burnley back in the Premier League. And everything is all rosy. Three guests this evening, as I say, and hopefully someone from the club will join us a little bit later as well. Although... Um, we can't confirm that quite yet, and we will try and get these same problems sorted as well. It's not going that well at the start of the show, so I apologise for that. James, let's start with you. How do you feel after yesterday? Um, well, second time, OK. Um, <laughs> obviously, it was an amazing day. I think it's hard to, to try and figure out how it compares to the last time it happened, because um, obviously both massively different days, uh, particularly since at 1-0 on uh, yesterday... I I wasn't nervous at all. You just you felt it was just a matter of time before we got another, and then obviously uh, sealed the sealed the game. Um, we've lost Jamie, uh, <laughs> so I, I think after we went two 0 up, uh, the second half was really just a waiting game um, to sort of wait for the final whistle and obviously have it confirmed. And I, I suppose it's a bit early to think about this, but for you, how does it compare to promotion at Wembley? Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to to measure it up. I think they're both, you know, completely different days. Um, I think Wembley maybe in a way is more special because it's it all comes down to that one day. Whereas yesterday, it's kind of been a a long build up. Obviously, there's other things that I think were better about yesterday. Obviously, doing it at home because um, I remember after Wembley, I didn't really. I don't think I saw my dad for about nine hours afterwards. But yesterday, <laughs> I saw him about twenty minutes after on the pitch. So, uh, yeah, it was. I think it was better to do it at home than than away from home. It's certainly a special occasion getting promoted at, at home in front of your own fans, and it was actually the first time we've managed to do that in forty years. All the other times it's been away. Of course, we all remember Wembley five years ago this summer and Scunthorpe before then. That was an away game as well. I remember watching that one. It had been back at Turf Moor. That was a good day, but in front of your own fans, it's totally different, isn't it? And really different experience yesterday. Oh, it really was, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, um, it was just a, a classic day that lived long in the memory. Um, I'm slightly embarrassed to say that uh, I confirmed with my dad yesterday I was on the match that I was at the game 40 years ago, or 41 it was. Um, I don't really remember it. I think I was six, five or six, um, but I was at that to, that game when we beat Sunderland. Um, just tremendous. Uh, I, I think I said on last week's podcast that it really helped in a way that we didn't get promoted that Blackpool simply because of the small number of people that were there and much more selfishly I wasn't there either um, so it, it all came together perfectly we put in a storming performance and uh, just really looked like a team deserved to go up to the Premiership It was a really apt performance as well wasn't it because it was dominant 
pretty much from the first whistle, never really in any danger of not winning the game. Um, Natalie, we'll come to you next. What were your feelings at the full-time whistle yesterday? Overwhelming relief, <laughs> more than anything. <laughs> um, I think I've just been on edge for about the whole season as it's going on. I think it was a really strange feeling because it's been so... Not obvious, but it's been expected for such a long time. And even with the, the gap that we had from a points point of view, um, just because Derby kept winning and you had to wait until the games ran out before it was actually confirmed, it just felt like it had dragged on forever. Um, but even though it, even though that feeling was there, when the final whistle went, you just couldn't believe it that it actually happened. Yeah, that... For me, I'm not sure it's it's really sunk in even now, sort of 24 hours after yeah. the game, we're doing podcast live. Um, and yeah, maybe Saturday, obviously we're playing at the turf again on Saturday, maybe the, the big celebration then. And I, I think the, the club will have a parade at some point as well, probably over the, the weekend of the last game. So I think that's when it will start sinking in for me. Um, of course, Friday night wasn't when it happened. We should probably mention the Blackpool game briefly before moving on to to the promotion in more detail. It uh, wasn't a classic game, really, was it, James? 1-0 win, thanks to a really good goal from Michael Cartley, but it was a scrappy affair. I think that's been the case with a few of our recent games, really. We've, you know, we, we've, we've not played our best, uh, and when we have got results, we've, you kind of look back afterwards and just thought that's a you know, very professional performance. We've got what we need from it, but... You know, it wasn't sensational. Whereas, obviously, yesterday we went out and it was, you know, not quite up there with maybe Forest at home, but it was a, a performance where we really sort of looked to pick apart our opponent early on. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, we, we got what we wanted from the seaside, and obviously, it's a great goal by Michael Carley. Uh, two in a weekend, I think, is something that he's not managed to do all season. But um, I mean, that's certainly the player we all thought we were signing. Yeah, well, I put on Twitter yesterday morning, I said I had a sneaky feeling it was going to be an unlikely hero. And Barnes and Kitely with the goals against Wigan may come in that bracket, even though Barnes is our striker. So perhaps that was the case. The second one, actually, uh, against Wigan, I was convinced it had taken a much bigger deflection than it had. But seeing the replay, it's only just flicked off. I think it's Stephen Craney's head, isn't it? So certainly Michael Kitely's goal. Two very good goals for him to round off the season. I'm sure there'll be a clamour for us to It was absolutely sensational I was like pieces were actually so much hard. better yesterday, weren't they? Yeah, I mean he, he he hits that so hard that the keeper doesn't even move. And uh, I know after the game he couldn't really remember much about it, but um, I'm sure when he's watched it back, he'll be he'll be pretty pleased with that one. We haven't scored a lot of free kicks this season, so that'll certainly go in the highlights reel. I think um, one thing about the Blackpool game, if you can think back past yesterday to Friday night, Ian was of course the protests. The Blackpool fans were going through, especially after we scored, they were throwing uh, tennis balls and all sorts of stuff on the pitch that sort of distracted from um, the whole occasion, really, didn't it? It was an incredibly strange atmosphere. It must have been unusual for us to play in, knowing that we could have been promoted that night. Yeah, and I I did get a little worried. I mean, it was quite funny to see Barry Ferguson's face just, yeah, even more, you know, distasteful than it than it normally is. He, he was clearly absolutely hacked off for the whole thing. But it did concern me a little bit that um, you know, it would just disrupt the whole the whole flow of the game and something might change as a result of it. And yeah, I thought at that stage we'd kinda of gone into our shells a little bit where we were sitting back uh just yeah, you know, bringing them on to us and uh, uh yeah, just nervousness had set in I suppose. So um it uh, yeah, it, it was a strange occasion, and and very strange as well to see so many empty seats in the ground when there was such a clamour for the away fans to get seats, um, and you know half of the rest of the ground seemed to seemed to be empty, which just seemed a real shame to me. It was a shame they couldn't have had more Burnley fans there, but I, I suppose the the fact that we slipped up a little bit against Borough and we knew that we couldn't get promoted um, at that game, we were going to have to wait for Derby anyway. That sort of made it. Not quite as bad that so many people missed out. Um, Natalie, was there anything for you that particularly stood out about the Blackpool game? It was just extreme focus, wasn't it, from the Burnley players to not get distracted by everything going off, going on off the pitch and make sure we got those points, put the pressure on Derby for the evening game. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that impressed me most about the game. Um, it was a tense atmosphere. It was a very nervous game. Um, I think 
might you know it's difficult to get to get critical in any way and I don't want this to come across as as negative but I think that there was a little bit of nerves in in our from our boys um and I think that's a very human reaction really you know they knew that this could be it and there was almost a feeling that um they couldn't lose that game and maybe the Middlesbrough result had just taken an edge off it a bit for them but actually the disruption off the pitch seemed to work in our favor rather than disrupt us because that then took away from the nerves of the game and they all literally just got in the zone you know got it all away and, and just won the game so I think I think it actually worked in our favor in the end and of course after that we're all watching Derby play at Doncaster, hoping hmm. that maybe it could get done straight away. But yeah, in the grand scheme of things, happen. probably better that it was in front of our own fans and we could have 18,000, 19,000 Burnley fans there to see it yesterday. Definitely. I think it's a difficult one because you you just want it to be over, don't you? You just want to be up and it's what would work for the whole season. Um, but, you know, if you could look at the weekend, you know, in a crystal ball, you would absolutely do it the way that we did yesterday. was incredible. I've not... I enjoyed yesterday more than Wembley. Just absolutely amazing. It was it was great. My little dad, who's been watching Burnley since he was nine years of age, he was just like shed a tear. It was so exciting. It was just so nice to see grown men and guys who've just watched the club forever just be so happy and so excited. It was brilliant. And you can see that also in all the players as well. Obviously, it's a it's a career high for a lot of those boys, but. I think Danny Ings, after the game, summed it up when he said it was the, the best day of his life. Now, Danny Ings is only what, 21, 22, but it says a lot that he would place it that highly. Sean Dyche himself said it was historic what we've managed to achieve, and I think that sums it up perfectly for me as well, Ian. It's, it's difficult to put into words, isn't it, exactly what this Burnley team have achieved, but the fact that spending so little money and having so few players compared to some of our rivals... And just goes to show that you can do a hell of a lot with team spirit and 100% effort and being relentless every weekend. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I've seen relentless um, mentioned a lot today. And I think that absolutely sums it up. And, yeah, the fact, uh, I think um, Duffer said at the end of the match, you know, we just press Wigan uh, pretty much off the pitch and pass them off the pitch in the first half. And you look at the, the resources that were available to the two sides yesterday, you know, you, you look at our bench compared to Wigan's bench. There's no comparison in theory, on paper at least. Um, you know, they were bringing players on who had you know good Premier League experience and have done great things in the last couple of years, and uh, just you know, just an incredible gulf. And really, Dash, I mean, he's a miracle worker. He really is a miracle worker with what he's managed to do with that team. You're exactly right about Wigan. Their team, of course, extremely strong. Didn't quite live up to expectations earlier in the season, maybe. And, of course, Owen Coyle got the sack there, which I'm sure a lot of Burnley fans were extremely upset about. But anyway, Rosal had turned things round there, got them to the FA Cup semi-final, of course, winning at Manchester City. And a lot of people have been worried for a few weeks, James, hadn't they, that, that Wigan were going to be our main threat. But they'd fallen away a little bit before yesterday. But we proved yesterday, once and for all, that we're a much better team than Wigan. It's not about individuals. It's all about the team. As we've said all season, as a team, we're as good as anyone. Yeah, to be honest, I think that people who are suggesting Wigan were going to catch us should have probably got themselves seen to by a shrink. Um, but <laughs> I think when you look at yesterday, going into it, it they're one of the few teams that have a, a better record at Turf more than we do um, in games between us. I think there's, there's them and Leeds in the league at the moment and maybe someone else as well. And we'd only actually beat them twice at home. Um, but with the way this season had gone, you just had to feel that that was going to be another one that we'd sort of tick off and go against the grain and, and get a win. It was a slightly slow start talking about the match in general, wasn't it? I think we sort of felt our way in a little bit, as, as we have done all season, really. We like to make sure that it's tight at the start to make sure that we're in the game. But the goal that we scored, every time I see it, it looks even better. It's, probably one of the best goals we've scored this season. The one-touch passing down the wing and super finish to, to cap it off by Barnes in the middle. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think in real time, I'm not sure I really appreciated just how how good that goal was. Uh, when I've watched it back earlier today, it, it's just uh, you know mind-blowing how good that goal is. It, it does almost go amiss before Ings' touch, but he, he sort of rescues it really well and, you know, that's a, a perfect team goal. 
It was absolutely outstanding. I think it's it's certainly up there with the the goals we scored against QPR and some of Ings's finishes as well. It's certainly going to be in the mix come the end of the season. Um, with it being two 0 at half time, I suppose Ian that there's a lot of relief even at that stage, wasn't there? Because we weren't even thinking about Derby score at that stage. We were starting to look forward to the end of it. At what point yesterday were you sure that it was definitely going to happen? Oh, I, I really felt when the second one went in, we were so much on top. We were we looked so in control. We looked like the team that we, we looked like a, a few matches ago before the kind of injury and suspension disruption started to kind of pull us a little bit off balance, I think, in some games. Just as I said earlier, the way we were pressing them and, and passing around them, we were winning the ball high up the pitch. Jones and Marnie were fantastic, I thought, just disrupting their central midfield. And I, I just... You know, particularly in the second one, and I just never felt it was in doubt, to be honest with you. I had a, a period in the middle of the second half where I did start to get a little bit worried. Not really because of the way we were playing, because we were still really in control of the game, but it's it's just that, that natural Burnley fan nerves, I think, like any match. There's been a lot of times this season where we've been 1 0 up and I've been absolutely confident we're going to see it through, but yesterday, for some reason, I had a mini panic, and then it wasn't until there was about 10 minutes left that I was absolutely confident that it was going to happen. <laughs> Just comparing it to, to Wembley again, James, the fact that the fact that it was 2-0 and we had that little bit of an extra cushion, did that mean you felt you could enjoy it maybe a little bit more Wembley? Like looking back for me, it was just so tense the last few minutes there. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it's hard to sort of say which one's better because they are two entirely different entirely different types of day um, obviously at Wembley you you knew that you had to win that day it's not like if yesterday we hadn't won well this Saturday and you know then there's Saturday after whereas at Wembley it was sort of you either did it or you didn't and as a result with only a one goal lead and you know for such a long time when you had things like the potential grey marks and the penalty um, it was a lot more nerve wracking but again obviously that meant the sort of release you got full time was, you know, incredible. And obviously there was a lot more fans there as well, obviously being thirty seven thousand. Um and you know the fact it was sort of a, a, a real day out. Um but then obviously at home being at somewhere that's you know so familiar, um, you know, packed home end, uh obviously all the club staff around, everyone who sort of does all the stuff that makes it happen on the pitch. Um I mean that's really magical to you know, so have everyone together there. It's an experience that I'm sure any, everyone who was there for starters will remember forever and everyone who was fortunate enough to get on the pitch. I was in the top tier, I'm afraid, so I never had any chance to go on the pitch. But it was one of the biggest pitch invasions I've seen for a while and being able to get the players and the manager back out afterwards, I thought that just topped the day off and I'm, I'm sure there'll be another parade at the end of... Um, the Ipswich game next weekend and then of course there'll, there'll probably be an open bus tour as well we're waiting for details to be confirmed about that but it's going to be a, more chances for, for everyone to show their appreciation for what's been an incredible season and one of the things we're doing here at Norn and Everest something nice and simple we're going to send a big card to the, the players and staff at Burnley just to thank them for everything that they've done and we want everyone who's um, who's read the site in the last year and everyone who's been to games and everyone who's listened to the podcast, you can go on um, go on the site and add your messages and we will get them in the card as well and hopefully deliver that to the players by the end of the season. So that's something that we've been trying to sort out for the last couple of weeks and that's something everyone can get in, involved in and hopefully there'll be something else that you can get involved with on Saturday but we can't confirm the details for that quite yet. The scenes at the end, Ian, come back to you because you are a little bit older than us, it's fair to say. <laughs> but Thanks for reminding me, yeah. <laughs> how, how did that compare for you with, with the other celebrations that we've seen in recent years? Um, I think, for me, it was it just felt different because of, of how unified this squad is. And I, I thought there was a real sense of that from the celebrations at the final whistle. Yeah, I agree. I think my... But I was saying to my wife on the drive back home last night that um, you know, my overriding sense at the end of the game yesterday was um, just they deserved it so much that what a travesty it would have been if we'd had to be in the playoffs and, and you know had to, to go through that ordeal because you know, they've been there all season 
they've, they've you know pulled together out of you know a team that wasn't expected to do anything this season. Um, so I think um, you know, how do the celebrations compare? I don't know. They're, they're all a bit different. They're, they've you know they've been away, they've been at Wembley, they've been wherever. But I, I just sense just taking that in isolation. That was my my overriding feeling about it. Just just so pleased for the team. I think as much as anything. Absolutely, and like I say, I think you can see it in the. There's obviously a, a hell of a lot of pictures and the players just that it meant so much to them. And I know they're having a few days off now, and hopefully they're having a, a well-deserved rest and a bit of a party, and they'll be ready to go again on Saturday. Although I'm sure no Burnley no Burnley fans would uh, be too upset if we were a bit rubbish on Saturday after a couple of days of celebrations. <laughs> um, there is, yeah. of course, the title still technically up for grabs. Leicester are playing. Um, before we play again and they have the chance to get that title sewn up but that is potentially up for grabs I'm sure we're all absolutely delighted with with what we've got but Leicester do play at Bolton this evening and it's an 8 o'clock kickoff, so that could be sorted tonight but if Leicester do slip up there is that chance of a title do you think James that that's something that would motivate Dyche and the players or is it a case of the job's done now and we're not really bothered about finishing first or second. It's the same end result, isn't it? Yeah, I think what well, I think from what was said sort of yesterday, I think uh, you know by by Dash at least was that promotion was the goal, and you know anything else would be a bonus. Which you know w- with the situation being what it is, and Leicester only needing to win to seal it, um, you got to say it would be a bonus because it'd be unexpected. But um, you know the goals promotion. Uh, it doesn't make a difference whether you get that that trophy or or not. It's, it still means ultimately you're going to be playing in the biggest league in the world next year, and obviously you get that extra financial security. Just looking at the season as a whole, I'm just curious as to to find out what was the the game when you really started to believe that it was going to happen. Um, now, if we start with you, is there a moment that stands out from the last few months that? you really felt that this Burnley team was the real deal and that they were going to go all the way? Um, I don't think I can pin it down to one particular game, but I think a series of games. When we looked at the fixtures in March, um, we had to play Derby, we had to play Forest, we had to play Blackburn. They looked on paper to just be absolutely horrendous. And that, for me, was the point of the season where it could have all gone horribly wrong. Um, we ended up winning those, th- certainly those three games, the Derby, Forest and Blackburn games, which were all really, really difficult games. And I think it was at that point that I just, I just couldn't see us losing it. Uh, that was that was a really a key point of the season. The, the thing for me is that we've never really slipped up. I mean, okay, we lost back to back games at home, but the Leicester game, you've got um, the players that were out injured and Sandbox going off in the first five minutes that had a massive impact on the game, and then Middlesbrough the week after. I think I still think that was a bit of a, a freak result, really, in that we had so much mm. possession and so many shots, and somehow just didn't win the game but we never really had a wobble. And you look at the league table now, we're still eight points clear of Derby. We've been eight, nine, ten points clear of Derby for weeks and weeks and weeks now. I think there's a stat that says we haven't been out of the top three since September. So the fact that we've been up there for the whole season, we're getting those rewards now. Um, what about you, James? What was the moment for you when you thought it was really going to happen? You've been assured for the weeks. You've been so calm saying, that, oh, we're already promoted, we're already promoted. I think mine might actually sound a little bit ridiculous because um, <laughs> I thought I thought we were going to go up uh, back in October. So um, that was a long time ago. I actually I put a bet on us to win the title. So that's not quite happened. But I was at that point confident we'd go up. But I think uh, when I thought it was definitely going to happen was uh, after the Forest game at home. Um, you know, we a team came who were seen as contenders and we blew them apart in that first half. And uh, I don't think we've looked back since. The Forest game was certainly up there, just outstanding the way we absolutely destroyed them in the first half. And um, one of the comments we've just had agrees with you actually about October. I think it's Jack that says QPR at home. When we hammered them, that showed that we can compete for promotion. Of course, that was a 2-0 as well, but it was utterly comprehensive. I think that was probably as well as we played all season. Um, one other... Actually, Ian, we'll come to you first on that point. What was the, the moment you started to really believe that it was going to happen? 
Um, I have. Well, I agree with James on this one. Actually, I was I was at the Forest game, and uh, when we were kind of cruising three nil, and uh, that was the moment I kind of thought, yeah, this is a team that yeah, it really believes in itself. We're taking we're taking this team apart. I think I was. We were on the podcast, I think, the week before that, and I think I'd rather amazingly cut the the you know, the um, uh, score right uh, for the Forest game at three one, and um, I looked uh, looked around and just thought, yeah, this is it. Yeah, we're we are a team that's going to get promoted. We're going to we're going to do this this season. One of the things that um, stood out for me as well in the the hours after the game was. Um, the the interaction with the the players on Twitter and things like that. Obviously, that's new, really, compared to the last promotion at Wembley because social media is such a big thing compared to to how it was back then. We have had some amusing interchanges, shall we say, between Burnley players and, and Blackburn Rovers fans. A couple of which I'm sure you've already seen already. Um, Alex has just drawn our attention to one from Michael Duff. Who um, was taking? I don't know why they pick on Michael Duffy, who's been such a hero for Burnley for the last ten years. Um, but it, there seems to be a, maybe a little bit of confusion about. I'm just trying to find exactly what he was replying to. But apparently, a, a Rovers fan said he'd be lucky to warm the bench next season, and uh, Duff said absolutely. But at least I'll be watching Premier League football, which is a pretty good reply. Um, <laughs> don't really want to talk too much about the future but Michael Duff has been an incredible servant for the club hasn't he and um, the fact that it's his, his second promotion with Burnley now it really puts him up with, with the, the modern greats I suppose doesn't it I mean there aren't many players who've done that for Burnley and uh, Duff of course is the only player left over from Wembley that will remember that um, James it's putting you on the spot a little bit but where would you rank Michael Duff now in, in terms of Burnley's greatest players, certainly of the of the modern era. Oh, I think that's a that's a difficult one. Um, I think certainly he's not not the best technically that we've had at centre back, sort of in, in my lifetime. But what he is is he's probably the one who's who's lasted best. You know, he seems to drift in and out, but he always he always comes back into the side. You know, despite. You know, the shortcomings he does have, such you know, now at his age, his pace obviously is not what it was. Um, but he's got a great football brain. He's clearly a great leader. I think mean, a lot of the guys respect him a lot, and uh, I think you could see on some of the videos that, that are on Claret's player today just how much it meant to him um, getting promoted again with Burnley. I think you know he does realise he's in sort of his twilight years, and this was probably. You know, he said that last time actually he thought he'd never get promoted to the Premier League again. So I think to do it again, sort of at a stage where a lot of people probably would have written him off and said he wouldn't be playing anymore, particularly when he's you know come from non-league football. Um, I mean, you know, it's an amazing achievement for him to to get a second promotion with us. And of course, Michael Duffy, he's come from the very bottom of the the league structure, hasn't he? Playing for for Cheltenham all those years ago, he's been at Burnley ten years, but before that, he played down the leagues as well. He's one of very few players who played in every division of the football league. I think it was just unlucky the last time we got promoted that he didn't play a lot just because he was injured, and the fact that we had brought in players. But I'm sure a new contract for Michael Duff would be hugely popular, and I think after ten years he, he will be eligible for a testimonial anyway. So hopefully um, we'll at least get the chance to to show our thanks. Um, there was another tweet that Michael Duff put out I think this was today he said um, 15 years ago today I got put into the football league with Cheltenham and woke up in a place of beans not much has changed hashtag deja vu he was a great lad Michael Duff and I'm sure all Burnley fans will be hoping he gets a chance to, to play at least a few games in the Premier League next season because if anyone deserves it he certainly does um, Ian what what do you make of Michael Duff he was absolutely superb again yesterday wasn't he but he's been brilliant all season he's only missed five league games I think and at the age of 36 it's an incredible achievement it really is and it, it was interesting yesterday to hear one or two of the players um, say how brilliant the, the strength and conditioning guys and fitness guys have been at Burnley and I think Duff is a testament to them you know my sense was he was probably last season uh, might have been his last season for us. I thought he was looking like you know his, his limitations had uh, really kind of come home to roost in terms of his his pace and so on. But whatever they've done to him, 
I, I wish I could get a bit of it, put it that way, because um, <laughs> he just looks fit as a butcher's dog now, doesn't he? <laughs> you and me both. I'm 10 years younger than Michael Duff. <laughs> oh, I wish I was in this sort of shape. Um, <laughs> Natalie, we've, me and you both have been watching Michael Duff for a long time now at Burnley. He's, he must be right up there with the, the best players we've had. Maybe not in terms of, of technical ability, but in terms of leadership and heart and putting his body on the line, all those sort of attributes. Michael Duff's right at the top, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. It's hard to, to argue with that, I think. Yeah, he, he there are times when he isn't um, as technically fluent as some of the, the players that we've got, especially if you look at, at other players and, you know, the flair and the, the, the real modern game that they play. What you get with Michael Duff is consistency. Um, he fights, he's a workhorse, He's and he just does... He does the simple things that defenders need to do and he does them well. Um, you know, sometimes I've seen people who sit around me, you know, sometimes and if he hooves the ball up front, they get a little bit um, frustrated with him because, you know, he, you know, they wanted to play the ball out. And I think as the season's gone on, he has got better at that. He's adapted to every team that he's played in you know he he's he's learned a lot and even at his age he's still developing his game um the same way that the players around him and it's, it's just been you know like you say it's been a great season for the club and he'll be really missed when he does leave I, I do hope actually that obviously it all depends what what Duffer wants to do after he does quit playing but hopefully the club will find him a job for afterwards if he wants to do some coaching I think or they will. like that yeah, that would I be can't. absolutely brilliant because yeah. you need you need people around you who know the club, don't you? That have been there yeah. a long time and they understand it and they know what it's all about and they have that connection with the fans. That's really important for a club like Burnley. I think so. And if if you look at, I mean, obviously Greza played um, for us for a long time and he, you know, he became part of, part of Burnley. But he, you always felt that his heart was at Preston, and I, I see. Duff has been a very similar character for us that Greza was for Preston. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does move into a role um, at the club and stays with us for a very long time. We've had a comment, actually, from Paul, uh, remembering uh, some of his raids forward against Blackpool. I think there was one moment where he found himself on the left wing, maybe after a set piece. It must have been after a set piece, otherwise it makes no sense for him to be there. But he actually put in one of our... No, actually, it was against Middlesbrough, not Blackpool. But he put in probably the best cross of the game. and It just goes to show that we don't necessarily talk about Michael Duff's um, technical skills that much but he, he's certainly capable of doing that as well but the thing for me about Duff is that he's so grounded and totally down to earth and humble and said that about a lot of the Burnley players this season but Duff really stands out for me I mean you just look at his, his Twitter bio which is absolutely always makes me smile it's, it says husband's a great wife dad's two amazing boys puts his family first absolutely right and then it just says head a ball for a living which is obviously what he does, but it's, it's just the mark of the man for me, absolutely self-deprecating and loving to bits and hopefully he will be at Burnley Football Club for a long, long time. And somebody else who we need to mention as well, I think is Ashley Barnes, who has been a little bit um, criticised recently, even on the podcast and certainly from fans on the site and fans on Twitter. Uh, people not really convinced by Ashley Barnes, but I thought it was excellent yesterday and, Got, scored the goal that got us on the way, James, and I thought he led the line much better yesterday than he has in maybe some other games in recent weeks. I think Barnes has been, you know, so kind of the exact sort of player I expected we were getting. He's clearly someone who, you know, he came to the club. He knew he wasn't going to uh, displace folks or or Ings without injury. Uh, but I think what he wanted to do was be there if he was needed to, you know, to help the team over the line. And obviously that's what he's done in the end. He's got a couple of key goals. You know, maybe he's not been as prolific as he'd like. Um, but, you know, he's scored more than uh, Danny Ings in, in the last uh, 10 games. So, you know, I think it could be a little bit harsh to criticise him too much. It must have been difficult for Barnes as well because he knew when he was coming to Burnley that he would be coming as cover first and foremost. But to have to fill in for, for Danny Ings first and then for Sam Volks and for both of them actually for for the Leicester game, it's it's been a lot to ask of him, hasn't it, Ian? To come in halfway through the season is always difficult into this sort of tight unit. But the fact Barnes has been able to put a stamp on on the season from a personal point of view, that would be really good for him looking forward. Of course, the winner at Barnsley was crucial. And the first goal yesterday as well 
he's only got three, is it three or four for us? But all been really important goals and it looks good for Barnes going forward into next season now, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I mean, I, I thought he'd been kind of finding his feet a little bit with us, uh, which you know, is absolutely understandable. Um, but yesterday, um, I just thought he uh, he played out of his skin. I thought he um, he just didn't give the, the guy marking him a, a second's rest. He was all over him, backing into him, you know, just giving him a really hard time. Uh, managing to hold the ball up, just not giving him a second's rest. Uh, I thought he was excellent yesterday, even you know, without what was a fantastic finish uh, for his goal. But you know, even if you took that to one side, I just thought he had a knockout game yeah, yesterday. He really did. The goal was excellent. I mean, as James said earlier, you see it in the flesh first time and it was played at such speed you maybe didn't appreciate it. And I thought it was the tapping, really, on the first look. But... When I saw it again on the, the highlights afterwards and the football issue and all that stuff, it's a really good finish, actually. He gets in front of his man and gets enough power on it that the goalkeeper's got no chance. So, well done for Ashley Barnes for that. And I didn't think he played well at all at Blackpool on Friday. So, again, real character from Barnes to, to come back from that. What are your thoughts on Barnes so far, Natalie? Um, mixed. I, I think... I agree with with oh, I agree with some of the criticism that I've seen, but I also very much agree with the praise that I've seen as well. Um, you can't fault his commitment, and you can't fault the energy that he brings to a side. He doesn't stop. I remember the the first full game that he played when um, when he was at home, and it literally he had cramp at the end of it. You know, he ran absolutely ran ragged, um, but then he's also had the ability to frustrate. I think. For me, he's. I don't. Oh, it's, it's really hard to say this without coming over as being critical. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, I've got to say, it, it's a bit. I don't like this big drama that he creates any time any form of physical defender comes near him. You know, if, if defenders try and mark him, he's, you know, he's waving his arms in the air, he's, he's, you know, calling to the referee that he wants a free kick or he's falling down really easily. And I think in time, Deitch will get that out of his game because it, it, he's the only one who does it really. And you just want him just to stop with the dramas and just get on with it. And if, if he's coming across um, a very physical defender... Just fight just as hard to win the ball. He's got a good physical presence about him. Um, and I think that's the only thing that I would say that, that needs to, to calm down a little bit. But, you know, look at look at Danny last season compared to this season. Deitch can make a quality player out of anybody. So I think next season he'll really, really, really progress. Oh, that's a fair point about Barnes. I, I agree. He is guilty of going down a bit easy sometimes. Uh, Rick has just pointed out that you do sometimes need drama queens in the Premier League, so maybe that oh, that's sort of, true. <laughs> that sort of acting ability might come into his own next season. Yeah, that's, that's very true. <laughs> so, someone else who we obviously need to talk about a lot on tonight's podcast, which probably is going to be a, a longer one than usual, and we are still hoping we will have a representative from the club on later, but that is dependent on various factors, so we will keep you informed about that, but we are still hopeful. But we arguably the most important person from the club this season has been Sean Dash, who is of course responsible for everything that we've seen from the players this season turned, as as Natalie was saying, Danny Ings into a, a top striker, best player in the league now. There's, Players like Ben Mee have turned into absolutely dominant forces. Scott Arfield, a, a cast-off from Huddersfield, turned into one of the most important players we've got. James, if we can start with you, how do you begin to sum up what Sean Dyche has done for Burnley in the last 12 months? I think he's done an incredible job and I think it's made it all the, all the more impressive when you look at what the situation was like you know, 12 months ago and you know, as he said himself yesterday, people were asking tough questions of him. You know, was he the right man for, for Burnley? Um, but he said that he, he never wavered. You know, he knew what he was doing behind the scenes. You know, he knew the work they'd started um, to, to improve on the side that he'd inherited. And, you know, I think they've changed a lot of things. I think he's he's put a focus really back on fitness, which is something that, you know, I think we've all heard the stories from the Coyle days where, you know, players were drinking fizzy drinks in training and, and things like that, and you know he's he's clearly taking it back to to basics, which is you know to be a footballer you need to be as fit as possible. And I think 
when you see us in a lot of these tough games we've had this season, the fact that we can run for 90 minutes, you know, you see people like Dean Marnie, a lot of Burnley fans didn't particularly rate. He's now playing in a you know in a system that works for him, where you know he can use his uh, you know his running to to press and, and make opportunities for the rest of the team. Uh, and I think you know clearly, Sean Dash had a you know had a vision of what he wanted to do, and you know he's picked up absolutely amazing players on practically no money, um, and he's fitted those into a system that you know has been hard for any team in the league really to match. The the absolute base figures are we've used 22 players this season, which is fewer than most teams in the Football League. Um, apparently, the Barnes fee was £450,000, which is the only cash Dice has spent, apart from uh, the wages and whatever we're paying for Michael Kiteley on loan. So absolutely tiny amounts of money when you look at the, the teams in and around the top six as well compared to what they've spent. So to, to achieve what he's done with no money, and like you said earlier, it's just a miracle, isn't it? It makes you wonder how 12 months ago we we looked like we were... It was a relegation battle at one point last season. Let's not gloss over that. We were struggling. So the turnaround from there, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? It's unbelievable. It is. I mean... He strikes me as, um, you know, he's a he's a physically intimidating chap. I, I I was lucky enough to meet him when I was doing a ground tour last season. He came into the dressing room when we were, when we were in there and, you know, everybody went silent when he walked in. He's, he's a big chap and he's got that kind of thousand-yard squ- uh, stare to him. But he just strikes <laughs> me as a guy who's just got really strong values. He's clearly got a really strong family around him. You could see yesterday the way he was relating to the family and, you know, the kids kind of jumping all over him and his wife there and everything. Um, and, you know, he just has, it seems to have a, a very simple approach to, to football and to leadership, but one that's just incredibly effective. So not only have we got the basics going right, we've got, you know, the, the fitness and conditioning right. And I was listening to an interview, I think it was with Duffer last night, saying that, you know, we, we outrun every team that we play against. We we do more miles than any team, high intensity or just overall miles. Uh, but he's got that piece right. But he also seems to have this reputation for really being able to relate to each player in a different way and to motivate them, bring them along. And, you know, I think he's got all the basics to go on and be a, a real, real top manager. You know, he's, he's English, which doesn't seem to help you to get a top job in the Premier League nowadays. Um, but I think if you know, at some stage, I mean, God forbid it's too soon, but at some stage I really think he could go on and be a, a manager with a, a really, really top club. I think a lot of people would agree with you at the minute. And like you say, we don't want to think too far ahead at the minute. We want to celebrate the promotion for as long as possible, really, all summer until the start of next season, really. But we will have to consider life without Dash at some point. But I think the mark of the man is that when the time comes for him to move on, he will do it in the right manner. And we won't have any of the sort of Farrago that we had when Owen Coyle walked out in the club. So I'm sure we can look forward to to um, a bright future with Sean Dyche in charge and maybe maybe he can keep us up next season that's a topic for another podcast but I'm sure we'll come to that in time um, Natalie what do you make of Sean Dyche so far he's a god among men almost isn't he, he don't is use the word god after Owen Coyle but he's, he's certainly up there no he's, he's just amazing and, and you know it's been it's been well documented a lot of people you know did criticize him a little last year and the football that we were playing i loved the the article that was on the the website actually of the sort of looking over his last 12 months um you know it's it's fair to say that the football we were playing at the back end of last season was really depressing um there was just no enthusiasm for, for the game um and what he's done this year is just i don't think any of us saw it coming to be honest it just came out of nowhere um but i was t- i was talking to somebody um, at work this week and they were talking about success in the Premier League and a few people were saying like oh who do you think you'll buy etc and this guy said it's not about who you buy it's about your man at the helm he is the difference between success and failure in the Premier League and he used the examples of, of United and Palace you know Palace under Holloway looked completely dead and buried Pulis has, has got them survival in the Premier League United you know pre and post um 
David Moyes, a completely different side. And there's, there's a strong argument there that actually it doesn't really matter who he brings in. He will invest wisely and he will bring his skill to that team and he will make a success of it because it's him that's, you know, he's the important one. Absolutely. I mean, attention will turn to next season soon enough and like I've said a couple of times tonight, we're not going to do that tonight because we want to celebrate what, what the club has achieved. But I'm sure that the sort of players Dash comes in, it will be his type of person as much as it is player and it'll be the character that he's looking for. And it'll be no surprise if people like Kitely and Chris Baird are signed up permanently mm. as early business because he obviously wants to work with these sorts of people. And I don't think we're going to see Burnley splashing out huge amounts of money on foreign no. players from DVDs. I don't think that's anything that Sean Dyche is going to do. Um, no. One little bit of news that we need to go through before um, moving on to something else, actually, is the sad news that Clarets legend Leighton James suffered a stroke a couple of days ago, but he's recovering quite well. Um, and his daughter Gemma says um, the latest news is that it is going as well as could be expected and he's going to be able to go home. So... All the best to Taffy, and we will um, keep you updated on future podcasts as much as possible and get well seen to Leighton James. Of course, um, one of the, the greatest players in, in Burnley history, so from everyone at Non and Ever, hopefully he will make a full and complete recovery. Um, one of the lines in the press, going back to Sean Dyche, um, that Adam's just nudged me about, is that someone said, instead of being the ginger Mourinho, Dyche's next task is to prove himself the goatee Tony Pulis. And uh, Tony Pulis maybe not a comparison a lot of people would leap to, but like you say, Natalie, he's shown that he can keep teams in the Premier League and that will be Dyche's next job. I'm sure he's looking forward to that. But that nicely brings me on to my next point, which is the nickname... I wrote an article for the site today suggesting that it's time we stop calling him Ginger Mourinho because Jose Mourinho is a classless prick, I said on the site, and Sean Dyche is totally the opposite. James, what do you make of that? Do you think Ginger Mourinho doesn't really fit? I don't think he likes it, personally, and I think that's enough. I think we should stop using it for that reason, if anything else. Um, To be honest, I'm not sure that he doesn't like it. I think think in some ways I don't think he likes the... The contrast with a year ago, because um, that obviously is the the main thing he points out that people weren't calling him that a year ago. But I do remember the first time we did it. I think it was Millwall away last season. Um, was, that was the first time I heard it. Um, but you know, I think it's irrelevant to be honest. It's it's you know he's he's a man of, of I think Scott thick skin and. Uh, he probably doesn't really care what the fans are singing, as long as uh, you know they not they don't want rid of him. So um, I'd probably drop it, but I don't think it's particularly anything to do with um, to do with Mourinho because I think Mourinho's the best manager in the modern game. Um, so on that on that basis, it's probably not a bad person to be compared to. Um, but it does sound a little bit strange, and it especially sounds a little bit strange when we're in the Premier League uh, and playing Chelsea. So, for that reason, I'd say once you're in the same league as uh, as that side, probably not sing about their manager. That's a, a good summing up of the situation, I think, James Warden, being very diplomatic. Of course, um, we do sell Ginger Mourinho shirts here at Non and Ever, so we are being a bit hypocritical by even talking about this, but that's the way it is, I'm afraid. Um, I think the, the thing for me, the, what I wanted to get across, like you mentioned there, James, the, the, it is the turnaround that I think annoys him, maybe not even annoys him, maybe that's a little bit strong, but it's the, the fact fans weren't, praising him a year ago and now it's this totally different almost the hero worship type thing and I'm sure there will be people if we start next season badly it'll be suddenly calling him totally different names so maybe it is that that's gone a little bit uh, different but it, it will be extremely odd if we play Chelsea early next season and then the fans are seeing Ginger Mourinho when Jose Mourinho is also at Turf Moor. Um, Ian you've probably seen some nicknames for players and managers over the years <laughs> what do you make of the the Ginger Mourinho tag I think we might have lost Ian there I'm afraid um, of course the, the Ginger Mourinho t-shirt actually that you can buy on the site 
was on the Football League show last night. You might have seen it. And the Football League show, God rest in its soul, we're not going to be on it next season, unfortunately, so that's a shame. Um, Natalie, we'll try you. Hopefully your connection is still up and running. What do you make of the, the Ginger Marine, your tag? We have to, we have to, Benny. I'm sorry, I'm still laughing. <laughs> I not think about the T-shirt. I'm absolutely crying. Um, yeah, let's get rid of it. It's utter nonsense. And I think more than I mean, it was, it was starting to get a little bit um, old um, before Mourinho's performance this weekend. And I think um, I was listening to um, Talk Sport on the way home, and um, Adrian Durham was really quite um, vocal about this. He was saying that he wants to see it gone completely. He's not even a Burnley fan. And he said he wants to just get rid of it completely, just on the basis that Mourinho has just, he's shown himself up this weekend just to be utterly classless. And um, he was saying that um, Deitch is so much better a man and so much better a manager. And he actually said that Deitch is a better manager than Mourinho. So it's actually a real insult to Deitch to call it him. Um, yeah, let's just get rid of it now. And I think we'll find something else to laugh about. <laughs> We might have to take that T-shirt off sale. It's going to get a little bit silly. Of that. It's just hilarious. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it was this weekend for me. That was the sort of I always felt a little bit uncomfortable about it. But after seeing Mourinho's rant after the the, the Sunderland defeat, where he complained about the referees, and it's just it all seems to be about Jose Mourinho for me. Where Sean Dyche is always talking about the team, and it's all about his values and his ethics and. His authenticity seems to be the thing at the minute. He says that everything he does and everything he says is authentic and you can always believe that, whereas it's all mind games with Jose Mourinho and he's trying to get advantages from almost devious methods. Um, Ian, what do you make of the Ginger Mourinho thing? Yeah, I'd, sorry about that. I'd hit my, my mute button earlier. Um, so, um, yeah, I think, you know, it was a bit of fun. It was... Um, uh, something that raised the profile of him and, and the club a little bit. And, you know, certainly at that time, um, as we were starting to gain some momentum, anything that raised the profile, I think, was was good. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's slightly embarrassing unless the Chelsea fans by that time start uh, calling uh, Jose the, the silver dash or something. Um, you know, but uh, it, it's probably not fit for a Premier League chant. So I think we'll have to find something else. Maybe run some kind of little competition around uh, what we can uh, what we can think of to do next. Just on Jose referees, though, I think that um, there has been times this season where Dash has bemoaned our lack of penalties, um, rightly so, because obviously you see Leicester at the top of the league who seem to be able to get a penalty for almost anything, and then. We seem to be required to almost get beheaded to get a penalty, um, but I actually think Mourinho, while maybe he didn't go about it in the right way, I think he had every right to complain about the referees on Saturday because they possibly cost him the title um, with what was the most bizarre penalty decision I think I've ever seen. That's just never a penalty, ever. <laughs> I can sense that you're trying to bait Adam, but hopefully he's going to have the sense to stay out of it. We don't want to go into too much detail about that penalty. And yeah, you make a good point. Sean Dyche has um, uh, criticised referees on occasion, but the, the point I made on <laughs> the point I made on the site in reference to that was um, that it, I think it's still in a different manner. I don't think it's quite. Mourinho seems to sort of question the professionalism of the referees, and I think that was crossing a line, whereas Dash sort of just bemoans the, the decisions we get. And the point I made on the site was that winners often feel aggrieved when it hasn't gone their way. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson used to do exactly the same sort of thing. You, if Manchester United lost a game, it was never because the, the other team had done well. Arsene Wenger's exactly the same. Jose Mourinho's the same. These big-name managers are often terrible winners when it doesn't go their own way. So, um, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Just on the final point about the Ginger Mourinho shirt, I'm afraid we don't do refunds. So anyone who's bought the shirt and now wants a refund, it's just not going to happen, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, we, are, we should probably wind up the podcast soon, otherwise we will probably carry on for the rest of the night. But we will be back next Monday night um, after the Ipswich game. 
Um, and hopefully we'll have someone from the club on then. It's not been able to happen tonight because of, of family commitments, but we'll try and get something sorted for next week. Um, just finally then, before we do wrap up, looking ahead to Saturday, um, I suppose no one's worried at all about the results at the weekend. It'll just be a last chance for for those of us who haven't got tickets for Reading, just to show appreciation for, for what's happened over the whole season and just to thank the staff and the players for, for what's happened. But what are you expecting from Saturday's game, James? Do you think the players will still be up for it or is it going to be a case of we've done our bit now? I don't know. Maybe from the, the way some of them were talking this week, um, they, they, they might be a little bit too hungover to, to put an effort in. But no, I, on a serious note, I think obviously... Um, they, I think they'll still be professional and uh, I, think we'll, I think we'll get a comfortable result against Ipswich um, and it'll sort of be a really nice celebration I think for the fans to to see you know one last home win to, to round the season off and one final point as well is it all gets a bit complicated with the various teams chasing the top six but uh, Blackburn Rovers still have a chance of getting in the playoffs and one of the teams that he's chasing that last place as well is Ipswich and of course Reading so if we do lose the last two games it would actually be bad news for Blackburn so although that's not going to be in the minds of the players I'm sure uh, it probably means that the fans won't be too upset if we do lose the next two games <laughs> Yeah but I think on the same on the same same time I think I'd trust Blackburn enough to be totally inept in the playoffs <laughs> <laughs> it would be quite fun watching them get beat but I, I want to be able to rub it in that we're not going to play them for a long time as soon as possible and for me if they're not in the playoffs then can get cracking with that early <laughs> looking ahead to Saturday then Ian what are you expecting from the game do you think Sean might be tempted to give a couple of the squad players a game do you know I don't, I don't know if he will I think he's um, he's the kind of guy I think that will want him to go to the end um, and uh, I think they'll be playing, you know, without any nerves. So I, I suspect he'll put something close to a, a full side out. And uh, I suspect that, um, you know, it might be a bit of an all-round kind of party atmosphere and hopefully knock a few goals in. I, I just have a funny feeling that we'll go out and uh, put on a performance. There's no pressure on the players now, is there, Natalie, with promotion in the bag, so... Yeah, maybe we will see them play with a bit of freedom. What are you expecting from Saturday's game? That's that's exactly what I'm expecting, to be honest. I, I don't think that they will be um, ill-disciplined. I don't think Deitch will let them um, lose the discipline and, and just fall to pieces. I think I think he will remind them that they have an obligation to the sides. You know, they are playing two um, playoff-chasing sides, and I think he will remind them of their obligation to all the teams in the league that, you know, they have to go out there and do their best. What I am expecting to see from these players is just some freedom, and I think they could absolutely run riot if they, if they could. Um, they're just playing without any pressures, without any, you know, out any worries and some freedom. They could put on a real show, I think. I'm sure that, that um, Dash would want them to do that for for the fans who are hopefully going to pack Turf Moray and it should be a cracking atmosphere. Um, Alex has pointed out that he did want to give some of the youth players a go at the end of last season, but obviously didn't have a chance because we were still playing for survival, really, till the end. But with a couple of games left, maybe that's a chance for them. There's a few players whose contracts are up at the end of the season as well. If he's maybe undecided on a couple of those, maybe a last chance to impress for them. So it, there are still plenty of, of things to keep an eye out for Saturday, but I'm sure, first and foremost, it's going to be a, a big party atmosphere at Turf Moor and it should be a fantastic atmosphere. And we will be back to talk about that atmosphere and maybe look ahead to the to the summer and next season a little bit more on next week's podcast. But for now, that's about all we've got time for. Thanks a lot for everyone who's listened to a historic Known and Ever podcast, the first podcast with Burnley as the Premier League team once more. And long may that continue. Thanks a lot to Ian, James and Natalie who joined me this evening, Adam for running the show as ever. Thanks to everyone who's commented on the... on. Um, the, the live chat on Mixler as well and we will get the podcast up on iTunes and everywhere else as soon as possible but thanks a lot for everyone who's listened and um, make sure you sign the card that we've put on the site as well we'll put that link on Twitter and everything and we'll get that delivered to the players as soon as possible keep your eyes out as well for our hopeful celebration that might happen on Saturday and need to sort that out as well and finally uh, can't go without thanking our sponsors 
Neville G, who've um, helped us do everything that we do at non Ever all season. So that's about all we've got time for, but we will be back normal time next week. It'll be Monday night rather than Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock-ish as normal. But thanks a lot for listening. Um, we hope you've enjoyed talking, listening to us talk about promotion as much as we've enjoyed the promotion itself. So thanks a lot. We'll be back in a week's time. Good night. You've been listening to the No Nay Never podcast. For more, visit nonaynever.net. And don't forget, follow us on Twitter at nonaynevernet. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.